Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Please pull up a chair. Today, we react to the news that Mark Hughes has been aggressively volleyed through the exit door at Southampton. Who will come in to replace him in Hampshire? And what is the next chapter in the increasingly repetitive story of Sparky? We're also talking about a derby-tastic Sunday in the Premier League as Arsenal thrashed Spurs, Chelsea cruised past Fulham and Liverpool beat Everton with the help of a bar so friendly it could be used as the setting for a remake of Cheers. Plus, we'll hear about a jaunt to Turkey for the Istanbul derby, hail Neil Warnock's supreme Cardiff side and ask our team about the best local derbies they've ever seen in the flesh. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by my Telegraph AFC teammates, including the one, the only, the man with one letter twice in place of a conventional first name. It's JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? <laughs> I- I'm good, although it probably says something about how awake I am that I couldn't work out who you were going to talk to there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pass immediately to someone else who's not entirely awake. It's uh, our European football database in human form, Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Ah. Oh. Barely alive. What has happened, Mina? I've just not slept oh, no. this weekend. And so if you know you hear a little bit of snoring, I just think you should just gloss over it. Okay, we'll get into why the lack of sleep has happened and the exciting place you've been to this weekend a little bit later. Completing the team sheet today, it's our reliable custodian of all that's true and good in the world of football. Welcome, Matt Law. Uh, yeah, in sleep news... I have slept well. Well rested. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Feeling pumped. Yeah, this Success. is, this is well, the least. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> this, this is the least I expect of all you of can you. Have You've my, got to be preparing properly. You can for have this. Uh, some of my sleep if you like. Oh, hang oh. on, hang on. Breaking news. We have some breaking news. Mark Hughes has been sacked as Southampton manager. Some 
recent decent performances from Southampton, but this isn't really a surprise, is it? 18th in the league. For me, the big the big question here is the direction of the club. Three weeks ago, they sacked Les Reed. There was a sense that might have been a kind of show of support for Hughes, get behind the manager, maybe let him have more of a say. Um, but now they've sacked him too. Are they in panic mode, do you think? Or, or is there a, pa- a plan in place? Here? No, this is how much they don't rage United. So they just want that, you know, if you can't beat this team, then basically you're out. Yeah, draw at Man- with Man United now enough to get you sacked. It, um, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't smack of panic. They've obviously, the fact they're going to make a quick appointment, and I think that's another piece of breaking news we're going to come on to, um, is that would suggest that they've been preparing this for at least a week. So... It's not an off-the-cuff reaction to anything that happened at the weekend or anything that's happened since the weekend. But it's clearly, I think, a bit of a reaction to Fulham making their change. I think we discussed that when one club changes, um, you tend to find it creates a little bit of a a bounce back everywhere else around the club near the bottom. And Southampton have reacted. But they deserve everything they get. If they go down, they completely deserve it because they've not been run well now for a couple of years. And I always think that that happened to Villa, it happened to Sunderland. I always think there's a club who gets caught out eventually when they continue to make mistakes and bad decisions. And I do think actually it could well catch up with Southampton now. Yeah, the rumoured new name is... Uh, it's not rumoured. Jeremy Wilson has reported it. It's fact. It's fact. Okay. Apologies to Jeremy Wilson <laughs> there. It's an exclusive, a Telegraph Sport exclusive, no less. His name is Ralph Hassan Hutul. He was last in charge of RB Leipzig. What can you tell us about him, Mina? I really like him. He's been dubbed the Alpine Klopp. Because, uh, <laughs> by you. Of his, <laughs> not by me. Apparently because of his antics on the sidelines. I don't, I don't really understand it that much. But um, he's, look, he's an, uh, deemed to be a great leader, a great motivator, really good with youngsters, you know, players, makes a team quite hard to beat, which is, I think, because I think Southampton can be quite entertaining going forward. It's just obviously defensively they're, and they don't really necessarily convert their chances either. But he makes sure that teams are solid at the bag, that they, they have a counter-attacking option. He does the basics really uh, well, and uh, he does have invention up front. RB Leipzig were astonishing, and, and when he he took over in- Ingolstadt, took them to the top, and was considered one of the best coaches rising through. Very much an astute tactician who really knew how to inspire the youngsters. And then obviously he did a great job with RB Leipzig, got them into the Champions League at a time when nobody thought that. It is a very well-run club and obviously there's a lot of money there and despite them being hated by everyone in Germany. Um, We've always had this debate because he's obviously young and Bayern were looking at coaches as to who they wanted to go for and everyone kept saying, oh, Nagelsmann, Hoffenheim's Nagelsmann, who who will take over um, RB Leipzig. But... For me, I quite liked Hassan Huntel. I think that he did the basics very well. I thought his teams were solid. They were hard to play against. And they always looked energetic. He himself uh, linked himself to Arsenal last season, which is quite unusual. Uh, There was a little rumour doing the rounds and he got asked about it in a press conference. And rather than just saying, oh, I don't talk about rumours or no, 
like most managers do, his uh, his reaction was that that is very well sourced information. So I, I like the sound of that. If he's going to um, stand up various rumours and, and talk about things other managers don't, he's quite an ambitious that. man. When yeah, it comes to his career. There's a pattern here as well. So Southampton, um, since Adkins went away and the Pochettino in, their the manager's win percentage has gone down every single time they've had a manager. So they went from uh, Ronald Koeman was 48 percent and Puel was 38, and it's down to 23 under Pellegrino. And Hughes is the lowest, 22.73 percent. Now that kind of tells you as well that it might not only be the manager's fault the players have invested and haven't maybe been good enough but I think it's very important now in the Premier League when you've got all this money going around and you can buy players and you can develop and you have to have a strategy in place your your team always tends to be like the identity of their manager and Hughes I think it comes across as a nice hardy kind of middling guy and it's exactly what Stampton are they don't really have much going forward they're not particularly great at the back they, uh, if they're going back to basics they want to be um, defensive and hard to break down that's exactly what they tried to do against Man United and any manager coming into that game would have done probably exactly the same thing that Hughes lined them up as but it just didn't work through a two goal lead from little errors Rashford's running um, whoever they get in uh, I think it has to it's be not whoever it's Hassan well, Vettel, when he as comes... Jeremy Wilson has exclusively <laughs> well, revealed. If, when, when he comes in, then to see what he does with it, because uh, it could be a long-term thing. We need to really invest and have a proper strategy in place. The, the, the interesting thing is, I think it's already been written by Jeremy Wilson, <laughs> giving Jeremy Wilson a lot of love today. Um, Please follow Jeremy Wilson on Twitter for <laughs> all of your you? Southampton news. Um, the, the new manager is not getting any money in January. They're not spending any money. Um, they they feel that the squad is good enough. They feel that they've already spent enough money. What do you think of the squad? I, I think it's an okay... So I certainly think it's a good enough squad to stay up That's with. That's what I think. Um, so it, it feels like they've gone for a guy t- t- to coach and develop what they've got and work yeah. out some sort of identity with what they've got there's not going to be mass change there within the squad and all of a sudden it become a new group of players and that's what they did with Pochettino really when he came in was he coached them and made them better players same yeah. as in at Spurs so that must be the aim surely and he'll yeah. do that and he'll, he's good with just one little fact Southampton have never paid compensation for a new manager and this will keep up that run because he's out of work and for the amount of managerial changes they've made in the last few years that's pretty staggering Money-saving experts down at Southampton. (laughs) Let's move on to the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, A really sensational group of games on Sunday. Let's start with Arsenal (laughs) 4, Spurs 2. This felt like a real arrival game for Arsenal, for me. A real statement of intent. You watched it, JJ. What what did you make of it? Oh, it was brilliant fun to watch. Uh, Both teams were really going at it. Had everything you want in a derby. Loads of kind of underlying tension and aggression. But there was some nice football too. The momentum changed quite a lot during the game. There was weird little moments, like uh, the handball that Vertonghen gave away for Mustafi. He must have seen that he was going to score, so he put his hand up. I thought Lucas Torreira was unbelievably good uh, and has been exactly the kind of player Arsenal have missed. He makes Xhaka much better. He makes everyone around him much better. He's the the Uruguayan uh, Kante. That's him. <laughs> but yeah, it was an absolutely brilliant game. Uh, I, I loved every single minute of it. How much did Torreira cost? Was it about twenty million? Something like that, yeah. It, it feels. I, I wanted to check. I meant to check, and I forgot. Sorry. Um, and you've had enough sleep. There's no. Excuse. I had enough sleep, and I had plenty of time. I was in early this morning, and then I just got waylaid. But um, he's been so a really good Jeremy signing. And it, if I'm right, if he's around the kind of twenty to thirty million mark, he in the modern day looks like a real bargain. You know, lots of clubs will tell you there's no value out there. You can't get players in. Um, who you can afford I mean Tottenham obviously will tell you they can't get in first team players who 
under 50 million, which they just can't afford. And yet there are there is proof out there that with good scouting you can and he looks like a, such a good find I mean I know I he played he... in the World Cup it's not like he was a, a nobody but somebody obviously got in there early enough to get a very it, good deal it's like a money ball kind of stats yeah. kind of signing that yeah, you don't go I, and watch I'm, I'm, there's sometimes it's, I get surprised when like Real Madrid had this when they brought in like Higuain and, and Marcelo at the time and everyone was mm-hmm. like oh that's a great bit of scouting no not really because these guys topped the charts for many years in South America at the time and Lucas Torreira has been talked about everywhere in South America and everywhere in Italy he was one of the best Midfielders there that Sampdoria had. This is why sometimes I, when you know you need a striker and everyone's looking around and trying to think that they'll need minimum sixty million to get a striker. Just look, there are so many. There's one in Genoa for three million, who's the top scorer in the league. I, it's not. What's his name? I want to buy him. Uh, <laughs> Christoph <laughs> Piontek. Um, you should go for him. But this is what. I, actually, interestingly enough, I got a call from someone who asked on the, on one of the shows that I've done whether I thought he was the next Patrick Vieira. And I was like, I just don't want to get into these things because, like, you know, he's still new and he's still young. Um, but I do definitely think that I'm... This is a game I was really upset that I didn't get to see live, that I had to watch it afterwards and then just relive the scandal after yeah, it's already been sorted it? out, yeah. you know? But I loved it because it was one of those where it was constant tactical tweaks. Yes. And that's something I don't see that often. And it's it's interesting how, like... Everyone, like Pochettino, would react to what Emery did, and Emery would then react to how Pochettino has rearranged his team. And this, it was just fantastic football. The substitutions made all the difference for Arsenal. And and honestly, I'm, I've been harsh on them in the way that they've defended. I've been harsh on many things. I've always been a fan of Unai Emery, but to get this win, that's huge. There's changes at half time where the a really good play by Emery. He took a Fawobi and Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan, who were very ineffectual and they weren't doing an awful lot, and uh, he put. Uh, Ramsey on uh, that was the big difference uh, Lacazette as well came on but it made the change from a 3-4-3 to a 3-4-1-2 just very subtle and it, you know in defensive phases it looks uh, very much like it was in the first half but it meant that uh, because Spurs were playing a back four that they kind of had three strikers when they were going forward quickly so Ramsey was able to get in between the two strikers who pulled wide and that's where uh, the, the, the goal that Obama Yang scored it was, a, it was a really good ball from Bellerin from his own half that goes in between the centre backs that Ramsey touches on to Obama Yang to finish but that's how they did it and then Spurs reacted after that because they'd noticed a difference and then Emery kept tweaking it it's exactly the kind of proactive thing that Wenger's not really done ever taking subs off or putting subs on with the, before it's a problem or yeah, too late. Yeah, that was it. It was yeah. a double change. That's it. I've decided that we're going to have a double change. We're going to stretch the team. We're going to stretch Tottenham out, you know, wide and see what we can do mm-hmm. and how how we can exploit it. Such a good man. Spurs looked tremendous against Chelsea and very, very vulnerable, very shaky against Arsenal. How do you explain them getting so much worse in the space of eight days? I think it's easy to explain. I know people hate this excuse and... People will have groaned when Pochettino said it, but they've, their fixture list mm-hmm. and their schedule in the last week has been insane. And at the end of the day, I'm, uh, t- Arsenal were brilliant. I don't want this to sound like I'm taken away from Arsenal. They were superb. They set up well. They started the game very well, which they haven't been doing, and the changes. So great. All power to them. I don't want to say but either, because then it does sound like I'm taken away from it. The fact of the matter is, they were able to rest virtually an entire team. I think only one player started who'd had to start in the Europa League and obviously then Ramsey came on um, whereas Tottenham have been having to go with the same 13 or 14 against both Chelsea and Inter Milan and before that and it's their own fault because of the stadium chaos they had that ridiculous run of, of games 
and it's going to catch up with them somewhere. You can't just expect it never to catch up with them. It's not they're not just going to keep playing their way through this with but the you same really think fourteen. This is it, the difference players. between the the match last week and this one is yeah, just yeah, 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 I, I totally agree as well. Honestly, the way Arsenal started, it was so aggressive and intense. I don't mean they're trying to beat them up. I just mean they were so they got into, they got into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, they, they were gung-ho. They were pushing high. They were just going at them. There was no time. They were just go 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 go. And so intense. And Spurs kind of looked a bit rattled. They didn't expect it because they've been slow normally. And uh, and that when if you're not already at that same level at the hundred and ten percent, and then you've got these great quality players coming at you just with this hunger and desire to get at you, determination, then it it sends you a bit. You lose your confidence. Bit, you're rattled. Ericsson's a good example. He's not been. He's been coming back from injury. He's not been fully fit. He comes off the bench against Chelsea and makes a great impact. He has to start against Inter Milan. Plays really well. He starts again against Arsenal and he's not really anywhere to be seen and it's clearly caught up with him. But, I mean, there are other issues for Tottenham. I mean, a lot of people will talk about the team selection with Foyth and Alderweireld, but I thought this... That's what I was going to mention. You come on to that then, because I was going to say something else. Um, the This game really highlighted the issue I think they have at fullback. Their, a lot of their success was built around having brilliant fullbacks and the Spurs have kind of two years ago who aren't as good now but they had better fullbacks they had Carl Walker and they had a different Danny Rose who hadn't been going through the injury problems if the Spurs now had those two fullbacks they would be sensational but Serge Aurier again mm. is just not the best he'll have good games but generally he's not the best he's not reliable and that showed up and Ben Davis has been struggling Ben Davis I think has over, actually overperformed for the best part of a year and he's probably now just more at a level of of what Ben Davis the player is and I think their not weakness but the fact they've lost so much at fullback was really highlighted against Arsenal and now Mina can go straight in on Pochettino (laughs) can can, can we just remember who the host of this podcast is please Matt (laughs) Mina Pochettino You show him, Tom. Um, <laughs> no, it's just that I do like that he's got all this faith in Foyth, and obviously we talked about that last week about showing youngsters a youth, a youth a chance. But like he was complaining about it nonstop in Europe that he didn't have him. In my personal opinion, I was like, you probably better off not having this guy watching the likes of Maro Icardi against Inter. You know, I'm not saying that he's not good, but he's capable of a mistake or two, and it proved that last, you know, uh, last night. Right? It was last night. I have I have all my timings off. Um, <laughs> So I just think, why why did Alderweireld not play? Why did they go with a diamond formation, knowing that they have Arsenal has two fullbacks? I mean, obviously they did actually get two goals in the first half, which in my head I was like, oh okay, well that showed it. But why did they play with a diamond formation? This isn't Chelsea. Why did they try to basically co- copy those tactics in which you had Deli Ali not not watching you know this time Jorginho, but basically doing the same job? on Arsenal when it just Arsenal play a very different style of football to Chelsea I thought it wasn't tweaked enough to match or neutralise how Arsenal play it's kind of like well this worked last week we're going to do it again I I think it was actually matched up to get them eventually well but but from the start though because the way they had it it's like a midfield three with two in front and then then one so it's nominally Kane but actually it's kind of Son who's a striker and Kane drops in the ten and and, and Xhaka is a as important to Arsenal as, as Jorginho is to Chelsea. Honestly, his yeah. amount of touches and passes, he's the centre of everything. So if you have two attacking midfielders level with those two defensive midfielders, it means that you can you go man-to-man and in theory you can take them away. Then you've got a midfield block to stop anyone creating next to you. Uh, there's width out wide, but then one of the three midfielders should be able to go out and double up there. But it was just the start. It came at them so fast that But how much space did they have on do. the wings, Arsenal? 
Well, yeah, but then that's, they're supposed to be able to double up. Like the, the setup works in theory, but then Arsenal just were throwing people forward, so they were overloaded. Like I, could, I didn't expect it at all. I don't know because it, it was so intense and they were pushing so high. I think it just kind of it really caught them out from the start because you couldn't expect Arsenal to do it. But in theory, how Pochettino lined up worked. Um, and on, on Foyth I thought it was really unfortunate that a mistake where he looked a bit tired and he sort of kicked it away you know and they ran away to score the he is going to make these mistakes and, we, yeah. and he has to be allowed to do them and exactly it I makes him a better player next season if he does, it makes mistakes now he'll be better next season yeah, he saved 30 million but would you defender. really do it in a derby well that's the question I don't know that, that's the weird thing I mean he he feels he had to rest out of IRL because I think he started kind of eight games in the league on the trot and however many European games um, but They've got a midweek game coming up against Southampton at home. That's the one you rest him in. So that's where I don't get it. Why would you not play Alderweireld in the derby and yeah. rest him? And, and look, I get that players get tired and all of this, but you know, Atletico Madrid had the same players and they reached the final of the Champions League and won the league. You know, yeah. And by playing basically the same eleven, I agree. So I, I don't know how much there is to this. It depends, obviously, what kind of tactics that you have and how exhaustive they are. But I do think that it's not that bad that Alderweireld is going to pass out if he plays this man. <laughs> Another couple of very exciting derbies to get into from this weekend. We'll start with Liverpool 1, Everton 0. Have you ever seen a wackier goal to settle a big game? Probably. I can't think of one off my top of it's my head. It's not off the top of your head, Matt. You had the questions <laughs> last night. Believe me, everything I say on this show is off the top of my head. Like Whether I had an fighting. email or not. We're fighting. <laughs> it's the ideal podcast. Uh, Pickford probably took blame for, for the uh, crazy ending to that game with Origi heading past him after it uh, kind of bounced on the bar twice. Shouldn't have the Everton defenders have been a bit more involved as well there and following in a little bit more alertly? I don't know. It's very difficult there because it looks like Pickford's just misread it, trying to catch it mm. in this top corner. Um, I think David Priest, the ex-goalkeeper, said this similar thing that it's, he's just tried to do something that he can't really do and his hands hit the bar because he's just underneath it so that's why it comes loose. The defenders, it, at that point you're mostly in panic stations isn't all you can do all the coaching you want in the training ground but the, when you're trying to defend in the sixth minute of injury time you're just flinging heads at it. There's not an awful lot you can... I love the fact Van Dyke gets an assist. <laughs> I love it. It was such a strange goal. Forget to the witness. wacky goal. That's the best assist ever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Pickford was just trying to be too clever. It, it seems, doesn't it? He was. It seemed to be his thought doctor. process. I thought they they analysed it really well on on match of the day too. His thought process did seem to be, don't concede another corner. Yeah. So I'm going to try and catch it, and it. it it ended up a really bad error. It was harsh on Everton, I thought. I thought they they showed a lot more threat in this fixture than they have done for a long time. At it was a much better game for that, wasn't it? I, I found actually Liverpool-Everton games in yeah. the last couple mm. of years pretty boring, um, not being a fan of either team. And yeah, yet, they were so defensive there under exactly, last year, weren't they? And, and yet, yesterday, even though it was only a 1-0, it was actually a really entertaining game. Everton could have won it. Mm-hmm. Everton played really well. Um had some really good chances and yeah I, I think it's really encouraging for them and it it felt like a proper contest again I, that that game had got into a, a habit of Everton literally just always going for a, a draw or a nil-nil or to try and sneak a goal and all of a sudden it felt like there's a team now ready to actually take on on Liverpool and, and that'll be good because traditionally as a kid it was a derby I looked forward to and it had become a derby that I, I didn't care too much about. I like what Klopp said at the end as well where he said that um, he was really he's really impressed with what Marco Silva's done with them because he's never seen a team change so dramatically so quickly. They've gone from a team that was nothing really last year and now they are 
capably pushing for that top six. They look like they've got a lot of pace, but there's just they're lacking yeah. that sort of moment of uh, of calmness when they do get through on goal. The players aren't used yeah, to being efficiency. in those positions. And they're making use of players like Bernard and Andrew Gomez. Like they're actually getting used properly. They're not being told to just sit deep and try to get a little bit of fun later in the game. They're properly going at it. and They look confident. Yeah. They look confident off the ball. They look confident on the ball. They seem to be happy with the game plan. There's an obviously tactical progression that's happening with the team. They seem to like working under Silva. There's something missing there. And I can't help but think that if Liverpool was firing on all cylinders, this wouldn't have been such an even match. What did you make of Klopp running on the pitch at the end? You have to celebrate. like that kind of stuff, right? Have, I, I, I'm, I'm all for it, but I wonder if it would wind what up would if I was What would we be saying, though, if it was Mourinho? That's, that's my one question. I always think that, yeah. But I, Mourinho would get hammered for that. Yeah. No, well, you see, I like this kind of stuff. I liked him poking people in the eye. I like all this drama. <laughs> okay. That's the only thing I watch football for now. Best in peace, too. But I do, I do enjoy all the madness. It, it does sometimes just seem a little bit like... Uh, Exaggerated, but I mean, it's a huge goal for them. It would, if I was the other manager or if I was an Everton player, I wish an Everton player had tried to trip him over or something. (laughs) Yeah, I really do. It's fine, it's fine. He, you know, he, he, I think he generally is a a good guy. He, he says he apologized for it. Marco Silva says he didn't apologize for it. That's all a bit weird. Um, it's not ideal, and he's done it before, he's done similar things before. I remember him celebrating too soon at the Emirates once when Arsenal then staged a comeback because it clearly annoyed them and, and riled them a little bit. Do you know who I blame for all this? Brian Kidd, 1993, set the precedent on the pitch for Man United. No, David Pleat. Wednesday. The David oh. Pleat kind of run Italians, the... Italians seem to think that this is something the English love. So they're like, you know, if you want to be loved in the Premier League or you want to get a job in the Premier League, make sure you're entertaining on the sidelines. And that's always been, you know, the Antonio Conte, like throwing himself around and it was like, oh, he'll definitely get a job in the Premier League now. I can understand, though. I think Mourinho said this a bit before the weekend, though, that he gets treated differently to, to some other managers. And Klopp will definitely have been in his sights when he said that. And he, he used to say the same about Conti. And as much as I don't want to have sympathy for Mourinho, I do on that level, because I always think that he would get battered for yeah. something like that. I think it's because Klopp comes across as a bit of a goofball sometimes, but he is equally... He's pretty horrible when his team loses sometimes. He's he knows really what mean he's reporters. doing. Yeah, and then he's, sometimes he seems like a really bad loser, whereas Mourinho often just seems uh, not vindictive, but very dour and kind of kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that when he then tries to be a bit funny, like I loved it when he was smashing the water bottles during the week. Yeah, I love that too. I love, my, my, I love the theory about that, that he wasn't happy that they scored. He was angry because he's trying to get sacked and he's really annoyed <laughs> that Fellaini had uh, scored the goal and ruined his evil plan. What about Chelsea? Beat Fulham 2-0 in uh, West London's fourth best derby on uh, Sunday morning. Um, They're back to looking pretty competent, Matt, after the Spurs defeat, but not a really spectacular performance. Kante looked a lot better, but will he be happy playing where he is for much longer? I wonder if with defensive players like him, they want to be defensive players, or is every footballer like we all were in the playground, they just want to play up front? The lucky thing about Kante is he'll be happy doing whatever you ask him because he's (laughs) Mm. such a great guy who's never, ever going to upset the apple cart. So they're lucky with Kante. They could ask him to play centre-back. As a goalkeeper. Yeah, he he wouldn't say a word. (laughs) And he he would still smile. So they haven't got a problem from that point of view. I mean, look, it was against Fulham and they were back on it to a certain extent. But Fulham had three really good chances. Um, Callum Chambers actually... Forced Kepper into three very good saves. I, I didn't think Chelsea. I'm 
see were particularly convincing. Um, that's the kind of game, though, where playing Kante further forward does work, as was shown with the goal. He can step on someone, nick the ball, and immediately put someone what? away. They were really messing about there. That, that really upset me. Seri was awful. <laughs> it's my first live view of Seri, and it's taken me till December to see him live. And he was terrible. Absolutely you terrible. You didn't like him before, right? Sorry? You didn't like him before. Well, I, I just doubted the fact that this guy who kept getting linked with all the big clubs and never got a move was, was suddenly going to be this astounding signing. This was a, an exact conversation that I had about Christian Eriksen. He was linked to so many and everyone said no as well. Yeah. But then he turned out to be quite He turned dangerous. out good. Maybe Seri will turn out to be good. But Seri's chance, like, don't they go into kind of these very nerdy stats? His chance creation is really high. He's one of the highest in the league playing for a team who are in real trouble mm-hmm. of relegation. Um this Kante thing I think is really interesting that everyone's talking about whether he's in the wrong position or he's a defensive midfielder I don't think he's a defensive midfielder he's a midfielder who wins the ball and you can create chances not just by playing through balls you can win it by winning turnovers high up the pitch so in Sarri's 4-3-3 he's got two eights who play their side of a six Jorginho is a six in the middle of the two now, on the other side, you've got Kovacic, who's quite good at just keeping things neat and tidy. Kanti, you can't leave him out of the team. You have to play him. So he is not the kind of player whose first touch is perfect and he lays off a pass. He times his run, wins the ball, and then suddenly you're you're in the counter-attack. So you, you can turn defence into attack or from nothing to 60 miles an hour in a second. And that's what he's very good at doing. I don't think it's that... I keep seeing him called a holding midfielder. He's never been that. He was a winger when he was in the youth level when he was at Leicester he was part of a defensive two but he was everywhere on the pitch he touches it's exactly the same thing as Lucas Torreira who is sort of a defensive they're, I'm contradicting myself they're sort of defensive midfielders but not he's just a central midfielder he's not a holder is he? no he's, he's not. not a holder but what I would say on Kante is because he's so good at sniffing danger mm-hmm. yeah. and getting round a, a wide area of the pitch it feels odd not to have him in the middle doing that to patrol everything particularly when uh, Jorginho is slow so when they play against better teams you can get past Jorginho and then but you then can be onto the defence then then it's a, you've got to play a four, you've got to play two yeah, exactly. no I agree with that I yeah. agree with the, the the solution is definitely not to switch their positions but I do think you're losing something with Kante Why, what do you mean the solution is not to switch their positions well I don't think you can play uh, for instance Jorginho can't play where Kante's playing no no he has to play in the middle to set the tempo as well he wouldn't be able to influence the game if he weren't in the middle of the it's like moving Busquets to another midfielder it feels weird though not to, to try with the two of them maybe and Together. a three yeah a three ahead of them or but something but then you lose thinking. you lose position and you lose uh, presence in different spaces further forward because if you, then if you have the two you have to have a ten slightly further forward rather than yeah. equal balance either side so it means that when you go forward you have a certain number of players in different positions it's positional play so you you have to have people in certain places to have passes on. And but if you, you look can't through, leave Canty out. But if you yeah, look through their squad, playing... their squad's almost better suited to having that because you've got Barkley or Loftus-Cheek who could play at a 10. Sure, but then that's not the, that's not how Sarri's No, but this, works, is, this yeah. is the point. That's the exact that's point. Sarri's stubborn. Mm. Just, just one, one thing that I, I thought was um, significant in this game was, again, the striker issue for Chelsea. Giroud was anonymous the whole game. Morata comes on, misses an absolute sitter. Now, you've got a real tight race among those London clubs for the top four at the moment. Chelsea, Hazard stopped scoring, by the way. Chelsea are the only club within that who haven't got a guaranteed 20 goals a season person. Everyone else in that top six has got at least one player who's going to get 20 goals a season. And that's going to be a massive issue for Chelsea. They need to get Mina's bloke in from Genoa. (laughs) 
It's mystery player time, and this time it's interactive. We'll begin with a footballer giving some mysterious clues about their identity, which will be revealed at the end of the podcast. So you listen carefully, and everyone now with me here in the audio recording facility, you also listen carefully. I started my career at my hometown club, uh, leaving after a fallout with the managers, fell out with many managers along my time. Biggest achievement, or biggest medal, although it was a very, very small one, was a Carlin Cup winner's medal back in the day. Captain at the time was the current England manager. Let's get into the rest of the Premier League now. Bournemouth hung with Manchester City pretty well on Saturday. The scoreline only took on the proportion you would expect of it towards the end of the game. Something I've noticed about Man City is they score a lot of these cutback goals, which were banned in my halls of residence at university on Pro Evolution Soccer. We get to the byline, get in behind and just sort of uh, slide it across the keeper and, and shoot into an empty net. Is there any way of defending that, JJ? You you have to show them inside, but then you've got players who are inside forwards and their opposite foot, so they can just do something else with it. It's very difficult. You take them to the line. You want to push your attackers out wide to force crosses because they've not really got big guys in the box to head them or or poach. But uh, then you just force them inside and they try and score. I mean, on that same note, there's actual stats for it as well. City have the highest number of six-yard box shots Per, per game in the Premier League they've got 2.2 the closest to that is Spurs on 1.4 who are joint with Cardiff oh the mighty <laughs> Cardiff yeah. let's, let's talk about Cardiff AFC favourite <laughs> Neil Warnock marked his 70th birthday with a win over AFC favourites Wolverhampton Wanderers great goal from Junior Hoylet do you retract your pub team statement about Cardiff James? apologise apologise <laughs> are you going to resign Mr Ball <laughs> I, I will happily say I'm wrong but I don't think I'm wrong yet I think they'll level out I, again, you I, do I, think they're a pub team they're a championship team they're, I don't think they're um, they're they're doing the the dirty work and the defensive stuff well, and they're like Junior Hoylett scored a goal that got one them points of their day by hitting a thirty yarder into the top corner. Let's, you can't let's guarantee be for it. We all agree with JJ. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't. JJ, I think Cardiff could stay up. I, I agree with I actually agree with JJ that they are a championship team, mm-hmm. and that's why Neil Warnock has done and is doing an absolutely brilliant job. If they stay up, he's manager of the year. Pep Guardioli could get 300 points. If Cardiff stay up, Neil Warnock is manager of the year. I think if, I think if Manchester City get 300 points, Pep Guardiola deserves some kind of maths prize rather than <laughs> uh, manager of the year. Uh, brave Manchester United battled back from two down against Southampton. 23 goals conceded for them, though, this season. 28 in the entirety of last year. What's gone wrong at the back for Man United? Everything. Um, obviously it's a makeshift defence That's uh, my issue with it is that uh, again we go back to this thing this, this is another reason why I don't like fo- I don't like coaches who aren't versatile or who try to adapt to whatever team they have I love defensive football I love a balanced team but you just can't play defensive football with this team that you've got right now it's only made to score and it's only ever entertaining and fun to watch or capable of even doing something special if they all go forward and look for a goal you're conceding goals anyway you're conceding goals left right and centre so why not just have a little bit of fun going forward but he's so stubborn and then he comes out and says Mourinho there's no mad dogs there's no one with intensity what he's looking for is individual displays of passion and individual displays of brilliance but there's no unit so he's judging men just by their performance and the thing is is that there is never a great individual who's constantly going to do something special just look at Madrid if the, if it was just a bunch of great number you know 11 players who are just great at doing everything that they do, then there's no point for him. The whole point is for him to create a side in which a player can make a mistake and it's fine 
because the unit covers for it. They mask the deficiencies within it. But he doesn't have any type of system and refuses to acknowledge that. On the subject of Jose Mourinho, we had an email at afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk from Nicola in Australia, who says, I would like a discussion about the different ways Manchester United and Arsenal went about recruiting a new manager when their long-standing one left. It seems to me that was the beginning of Manchester United's problems. Manchester is correct, isn't she? She is correct. And I would say the biggest difference and most significant difference is that Manchester United simply said to Sir Alex Ferguson... What do you think? This is Sir Alex Ferguson who recommended Alex McLeish should be the Aston Villa manager. Has a terrible history of recommending managers to clubs. Of recommending ginger Scottish managers to clubs. So basically recommending his mates to clubs. And Sir Alex Ferguson recommended his mates, David Moyes. Whereas Arsenal went through quite a long and exhaustive process. Disagreed a lot. Had a lot of people involved. But came around to... to what looks like the right decision. And they did not uh, ask Mr Wenger at all. I don't know whether it's just necessarily just about, you know, who... I, I agree with your point in the sense that, you know, they just went ahead with what Alex Ferguson thought is best. But it's also, you have to have a, a, a unit at the top, not just on the pitch, but you have to get everyone to work together between the sporting director and the coach and have everyone pulling in the same direction. Not have Jose Mourinho saying, I didn't get the players I want, and Edward Wood saying, these are the ones that I'm going to buy. I, I just feel like there's got to be some sort of harmony at the top. This is actually a brilliant point, because I was being a bit flippant. Arsenal had actually put everything in place, if you remember. They'd changed all of their head yeah. of scouting. Uh, they'd brought in their technical director. They'd brought in people behind the scenes all over the place. They'd changed everything behind Wenger. Over several months as well. Yeah, yeah. ready for when they made the appointment. And so that's a brilliant point by Mina. And the Ferguson ones feel like he went uh, with, with uh, managers who seemed a bit like him. As you know, Moyes is a Scottish guy from a similar sort of place who went through similar bits with similar clubs, but it's not really worked. I mean, I, Man United's strategy has been poor, but it represents the same thing they've done with players. They've gone for names over people who might actually really do the job they need them to. I'm always struck by the staggering arrogance of appointing Moyes and just thinking, oh, it's now whatever whatever year Ferguson left in, it's the same as 1986. You're now going to appoint yeah. the next <laughs> Scottish bloke for 30 years. It just doesn't work like that anymore, unfortunately. A song for Europe featuring Mina Razuki. Mina, where were you this weekend? No, I went to Istanbul, but really? really. <laughs> there was a, a derby, but I was also there for just some fun. <laughs> what, what was the derby? <laughs> it was Besiktas Galatasaray, so the Istanbul derby. And it looked like, Is that as intense as Galatasaray Fenerbahce? No, not as intense as that. Um, but it's just that the positioning of, of, of Besiktas' stadium... It's just kind of like bam smack in the middle of, I guess you can say Stanford Bridge is kind of bam smack in the middle of things too, you know. But it's one of those where like, you know, it's the night, like right opposite is the former palace of Ataturk, you know, like, and then there's just the Vodafone Arena for Besiktas right in front of it. Like, it just seems to be like just this thing that they threw into the middle of the city where there's all these nice areas around it. But anyway, trying to get back into the area or out of the area during that time, the whole day the roads were blocked. There were just fans everywhere. It's crazy. I've honestly, I've never seen anything like. What was it. the atmosphere like? I was scared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there didn't seem to be that many women. Yeah, and um, I kind of just really wanted to go and get that salt bait burger. You know, the one that you see on Instagram. 
No. So, yeah, no. <laughs> JJ is like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. But Besiktas but won 1 0, and, you know, they were playing at home. So, what's all good the, in the what's end. What's the standard like in the Turkish league? It's actually quite fiery, and it's not that bad. It's, it's it's not exactly the level of you know Italian football, but not even the Premier League is. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but look, they've got some good players. The guy who scored the goal is Adam Lajic, who came from who came from Serie A. Quite you know was considered one of the most creative talents that we had. Perhaps not on a consistent level, and they moved to Turkey. It's ones who don't seem to really be consistent players that eventually move there. Um, but you know we've seen Galatasaray in the Champions League. We've seen Besiktas in the Champions League. They're not really teams that go very far. Um, it's more games of intense passion more than anything. What about Bayern Munich, Mina? Are they slowly turning things around in the Bundesliga at this point? No. Um, <laughs> although I think it's turning around that Arjen Robben has uh, announced that this would be his final season. I'm just like, finally, otherwise we're going to just have an OAP club over here, you know? Having said that, obviously, the OAPs are the people that got them through in the Champions League. Um, look, at the end of the day, Nico Kovac, I think he's a little bit out of his depth at the moment. And But I don't want to blame him because I do think this is a side that needed to be re- re- regenerated. They've it's old. They don't have very many um, different talents to rely on if it's not Ribery and Robin and the same old Thomas Müller, Lewandowski up top. It needs to be a change. I think the defence is poor. I think he's trying to do the best that he can with the with, with the skills that he has. Um, and it doesn't help that Hunus and Rummenigge don't seem to have a plan going forward. Uh, right now, if there was a better option, they would dump him. If there was another Jupankis waiting in the, on the sidelines, they would go for him. But right now, it's only Arsene Wenger. What's oh. wrong with Arsene Wenger? <laughs> Only Arsene Wenger, Mina. I don't know whether they... I, I, I don't really believe this rumour, but that's the one that's going around. Do you reckon he'd take it? He definitely wants it. Why wouldn't he want it? Really? If you want to be a manager again, what what better job's going to come up for him than Bayern Munich? So well, if, if he's allowed complete control, but you think he'd be allowed that? I don't. I think at this stage of his career and the likely options he's going to get, I think he would have to accept some sort of leeway on the fact he's probably not going to go into a club and just manage it in the same way he did with Arsenal. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just not going to get a job. Certainly fits the OAP remit. <laughs> My word. <laughs> oh, Maybe he can bring Cahill. <laughs> Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. JJ Ball, please tell me your cleverest moment of the weekend. Oh, yes. Uh, James Madison's first touch for his brilliant goal. I goal think we should give James Madison some theme music. He's, he's mentioned <laughs> yeah. so often in such glowing terms <laughs> on this we, podcast. We should do like, um, like one of those love songs. And then just have JJ Bill and Madison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it tomorrow. That's uh, what friends are for. Yeah, that's, that's, that's staying. We'll, we'll that's not that. getting into that. <laughs> but that's it. It's the cleverest moment. Mina's song about James Madison. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly tell me the actual one, JJ. Uh, James Madison's first touch. So it's a, uh, a ball is hit to him from wide right, and he controls it with his first touch. But it's while he's running, and it's I think he takes it on his laces. It's incredibly hard. It's not that he kills it dead or anything. He sort of hits it just over. An outstretched foot, so he takes it over someone while he hits it, and then he takes it down, and then he, he scores with a, a volley or a half volley, whichever you want to call it. But it's just a phenomenal bit of skill, and the fact that he does it without even seeming to—I mean, if I did that touch, I'd be like, "Yes, <laughs> I'll celebrate the touch already." But um, he manages to get it done. Was that the yeah. Nike advert? Do you remember the Nike advert from like hundreds of years ago when it was still like Ronaldinho and Pep Guardiola? 
But Pep Guardiola does that. He he basically controls the ball with uh, his laces. And he celebrates the possession win at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish by asking you this question. We had a massive day of derbies on Sunday in the Premier League. I would like to know, teammates, what's the best derby you've ever witnessed live? JJ? Well, um, having grown up supporting Aberdeen in Scotland, there's not really a derby I've been to, nor have I seen any in real life. But the closest you've got is Dundee United. So they sort of force these um, derbies because it creates a bit of tension, I guess. And I've seen Aberdeen play Dundee United in several cup semi-finals. Uh, and th- there's never really that tense. <laughs> no one cares that much. Alas, I'm sure there are some other derbies in Scotland that people care about a bit more. No. Mina? Um it's interesting because I've actually never seen that many derbies live. Obviously, I, I know which ones are supposed to be amazing. But the one that I did like, and I think that has to do more with that fact that I was a Juventus fan, but, but it was a 2001-2002 uh, campaign. And Milan were trying to go for their second Serie A title. And they had to play the derby against Inter. And this was an Inter that still had Diego Milito and was obviously really good. But basically, if they beat them, then they would be in with a shot to beat Juventus for the title but they couldn't because it was a hat-trick from Diego Minito Zlatan scored a brace it was just exquisite technical football and everyone was just going crazy but basically that loss meant it was over and the title went to Juventus after so many years and how many miles between Turin and Milan? I don't know but it's about an hour by drive that's that's probably just about a derby Matt Law Uh, about 12 years ago or so Villa beat Birmingham 5 and on my birthday which is like the best thing ever that's amazing yeah Yeah. Yeah. so I think derby is always about I think it's a bit weird if your favourite derby is about a club that you don't support I think it's all it's for the fans Um, there was a brilliant one as well that I went to and I can't actually remember the final score but um, Villa Blues again when um, Dion Dublin just almost cut Robbie Savage in half with a waist-high tackle. Savage got up to complain and Dion Dublin just headbutted him. <laughs> that is what Derby's all about. John Mogi on Twitter responded and said, it has to be United 4, City 3, Owen winner in the 96th minute. Very well done, John. I think you've won the question. Here we go. It's time for the big reveal. Who is this week's mystery player? Right, who's got some guesses for me? Mina? Well, I was going to say Zlatan when he said I fell out with everyone. Um, <laughs> I think I think Zlatan sounds a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, that's the other clue. Uh, <laughs> just a cutting club, Southgate. I don't know. JJ? Uh, Are I you was, Googling? I was trying to cheat there. Oh, unbelievable. Oh unbelievable. I didn't, I didn't get it, though. Four-week ban I didn't from the get podcast. it. I just couldn't remember. The, um, that's because you're not a fast Googler. So, Google who was the captain <laughs> for Middlesbrough when they won the Carling Cup. Because it must be the captain of Middlesbrough now. Can, with can you not remember who that was? No, I can't off the top of my head. But right. That's, that's it, isn't it? That's the Google. Who was the captain of Middlesbrough when they won the Carling Cup with Southgate in the Come team? On. Let's let's reveal the answer, please. That's right. I'm Danny Mills, formerly of Norwich, Charlton, Leeds, Middlesbrough, Man City, Hull, Derby, Charlton again. I think that's all. You've got to get half a point. Yeah, you deserve yeah. it. Danny Mills. That's a lot for this week on Telegraph AFC. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like to. Look for at Tom with an H Gibbs. If you're more partial to electronic mail, you can also get in touch via the following address and help us to shape the next episode. Send us your ideas, desires and dreams to AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk. 
don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. I'm sure you can take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.